Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch The Going Live Show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom, and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like, that was me. Well, sadly, this past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase phrase it. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which is another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows nonstop, but I can't let this sit situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world. So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe. And you could look deep into my eyes like I was a supermodel.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And as you can tell from the theme song that was played once again, you've heard this for several weeks in a row. It is my brand new theme song, and it will continue to be my brand new theme song until I get some message from Spotify saying, this is built for copyright. So as long as that doesn't happen, this will continue to be my theme song on the Boochcast. However, if I ever get to use a theme song for anything else outside of here, I'm still going to use the killers. I'm the man. But here on the Boochcast, it will be everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. And the reason you're hearing that again is because here on the Boochcast, I am once again all by myself. Prefer to be all by myself on the Boochcast. Because Gator, once again, is not able to show up. However, this time is a lot different than other times that he hasn't been able to show up. Because he actually called me earlier today and said unless there was some fuckery he had planned on being here. He was actually in the process of rearranging his schedule at the school so that he could be here on Wednesdays to record with us. Which of course the children at the school don't like that but I really don't give a fuck because I need my AEW correspondent so I really could give a fuck less about the children's schedule. But apparently Gator had a family emergency. Now he would not go into detail about what the family emergency was but even if he did I would not mention it because it's a respect thing I would rather have Gator go into detail about the family emergency as opposed to me but he has not told me what it is but he plans on talking to me about it later so maybe sometime tomorrow he and I will have a discussion about it and we'll be able to hopefully get him back here next week and hopefully have him this Sunday for Forbidden Door because as we know uh, that's the big pay-per-view taking place this Sunday is AEW and New Japan present Forbidden Door. I'm also hoping to have uh, Elvis Delinsky make a return for the first time in a long time uh, for the Forbidden Door recap because on this Sunday I do plan on going to his house to watch Forbidden Door with him. But depending on how long the pay-per-view goes will determine whether or not Elvis joins me for this recap because apparently he does have to get up early to go to work on Monday. Uh, Desmond has to do the same which is why Desmond won't be joining us for Forbidden Door. Um, But I would like to have Elvis on on here because I like having Elvis's perspective on wrestling and especially since he's getting back into AEW because of the return of CM Punk. He's obviously very excited about that. And speaking of that, before I get into Dynamite officially, I'm going to take a moment here to address a little bit of AEW Collision. Now, as I mentioned before, because AEW Collision airs on a Saturday and because Gator and I primarily work on weekends doing wrestling shows or comedy shows or things of that nature, we can't commit to a weekly AEW Collision full-fledged recap. We just can't do it. It's not realistic for us to do it every week. So what we decided to do was hit the highlights of the show. So that's what I'm going to do right now. I am going to hit the highlights of the show. First thing I want to say is I love the commentary team on Collision. It's Kevin Kelly, Nigel McGinnis, and Jim Ross. Three gifted, talented commentators. Jim Ross, the best in the business. I don't care what anybody says. Nigel McGinnis, who's done a fantastic job commentating in NXT. And of course, Kevin Kelly 
Ali, who was great in WWE, great in Ring of Honor, great in New Japan. Kevin Kelly is amazing. The fact that these three are at the broadcast table is perfect, and it's already exciting for me because I don't have to hear Excalibur, who I can't fucking stand for the life of me. Collision is better than Dynamite after this first episode. I can already tell you because if Collision had been the debut episode, they would already be number one. AW. They would have never had a bad show because Collision is done right. Dynamite is shit most of the time, but Collision is not. Hell, Wardlow and Luchasaurus for the TNT Championship was epic. They had a great one-on-one match, everything done right, and in the end, we have a new TNT Champion, Luchasaurus. Christian, of course, holding up the belt, which is perfect, you know, being the, you know, the heel that he is. He's acknowledging as if he won the title, and of course, they're going to address the TNT title, which I think is going to be next week. They're saying they're going to talk about it. So I don't know if uh, Luchasaurus is going to be the champion or if Luchasaurus is just going to hand the belt over to Christian and have Christian be recognized as the TNT champion. I don't know how that's going to work. And then, of course, um, in addition to that, Miro finally came back, had a great match with Tony Nese. The Redeemer won by submission. I loved seeing Miro back in the ring because the fact that this guy's been off TV as long as he has is fucking pathetic. It is horrible. This is a guy who left WWE to come to something better came in with that best man shitty video game gimmick wearing the goofy Mickey Mouse shirt and acting like an idiot. Then he finally gets reinvented as the Redeemer and gets this kick-ass gimmick with great promos, great character work. This guy is someone you could push to a main event level and they have kept him off TV for reasons that are fucking retarded. So it was great to see him back in the ring. And of course uh, Tony Storm and Ruby Soho with Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale, they were able to pull a good match out of these two. Uh, uh, you know, by that I mean Tony and Ruby playing a good match out of Sky Blue and Willow Nightingale who are still greener than baby shit. And then, of course, you know, the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn had their moments. Uh, Mass Caster had a great rap. They did the scissor thing. It was great. And then CM Punk and FTR against, you know, Jay White and Juice Robinson and Samoa Joe was fucking epic. It was epic. Um, Punk and Joe being in the ring together for the first time in 18 years did not disappoint. The finish was fantastic. Punk showing that he can still work. Hasn't missed a step. Worked off whatever ring rust he might have had during the first run. They had a epic, great six-man tag. But to me, the highlight of this whole thing was the beginning with CM Punk's promo. Now, I'm sure some of you out there are probably thinking, well, Boots, why didn't you open with that? That was the first part of Collision. Well, the answer is simple. I thought this promo was so beautifully well done, I don't just want to talk about it. I want to re-air it. So, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who missed it on Collision, this is CM Punk in the ring speaking for the first time since the all-out media scrum. I don't know if you guys heard, but I'm tired of being nice. Gone 10 months with a ruptured tricep tendon, tore it straight off the bone. But I'm still here. And as long as I am, this is the professional wrestling business. It's a business of grown-ups. This has never been a popularity contest. We all know I probably would have lost that one a long time ago. So tonight we're gonna have a little conversation about the future, but first, I would like to have a little conversation about my past, which I don't think is checkered. 
If you would have told 15-year-old me that you're going to sell out the Budokan, that you're going to sell out Madison Square Garden, that you're going to sell out multiple times over every single building in Chicago with a roof. Well, I'm not sure little punker would have believed you. It's because he didn't experience what present me standing here in front of all you crazy bastards has experienced. I'm tired of being nice. Tell me when I'm telling lies. I did all these things and I got here to this place riding a wave, riding the backs of smart, passionate, professional wrestling fans like you. And oh gosh, I never fit in somewhere more in my entire life than I have here in professional wrestling. I love you for it. I love you because you love me. And you love me because I have never compromised. I have been unapologetic my entire career. I am me. And I couldn't have done all this without all of you. But it seems there's some people that hate me for the same reasons you all love me. Hey, listen. I understand that the sheer magnitude of me makes people uncomfortable. I very much understand that my mere presence makes people uncomfortable. That's because I am the truth, and the truth is painful. This sign right here says CM Punk is my hero. You can call me that. This sign here says Pepsi Phil. You can call me that. This sign here says CM Junk. You can call me that. Boo me, cheer me, love me, hate me. You all do it because you know I'm right. You can call me whatever you want. You know what David Zasloff calls me? One Bill Phil. That's because I am the one true, genuine article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. The king is back, baby. And I do have a lot of things to get off my chest.
got a question, Chicago, and then I'll get out of your hair. Why would I change? This is what Joe Strummer trained me for. I will always speak truth to power. I will always be myself. I will never compromise. And there's the people that think that they are owed an apology. I've grown older and wiser in my years. Sometimes it's better to be the bigger man. If you feel you're here today and I owe you an apology, here it is. I am sorry that the only people softer than you are the wrestlers you like. Tell me when I'm telling lies. The last time you saw me with my tricep meat hanging down, I held what's in this bag above my head. And it's not because I deserve it. It's mine because I earned it. And it's not mine because I had the best dog collar match. It's mine because I won the dog collar match. Tell me when I'm telling lies. This belongs to me until somebody can pin me or submit me for it. And there are those of you who I'm sure were praying to whatever God you believe in that I'm gonna put these down here in this ring and walk into the sunset never to be seen again. But until there is somebody in this company that can fill these boots. They belong on my feet. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Wow, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. That right there was a beautiful fucking work of art. That is probably the best promo ever cut in AEW. I would put that up against any promo MJF has cut in the last four years. Because CM Punk came back and made a fucking statement. And the main thing he said in there was, tell me when I'm telling lies. And I think I can speak for every true wrestling fan, real true wrestling fan, when I say there were absolutely no lies told. No lies told at all. Everything CM Punk said was 100% true. People don't like him because he tells the truth, and the truth is painful. It is. People always say they want honesty in a relationship. Everybody says they want to be told the truth. But in the immortal words of Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. Because when someone is honest with you, if it's not the truth that you want to hear, you don't like it. And that's what Punk did. At that media scrum, he 100% told the truth. That's why I love what he said. This is a professional wrestling business. And that it's a business of grown-ups. 
Oops. He was reiterating the fact of what he said in the media scrum. That the elite, the EVPs in particular, are fucking children who don't treat this company like a business. They treat it like a playground. They treat it like a joke. And that is why modern wrestling gets shitted on by so many people who loved wrestling back in the day. Because they see the people of today treating it like a joke. And that's why I get so goddamn angry. Because I spent most of my life trying to explain to people that wrestling is not fake. Yes, it is scripted. It is choreographed. There are predetermined winners. But it is not fake. The reason people like me and Gator and other people in the business get so fucking angry when we hear the word fake is because when you say wrestling is fake, you're implying that anyone can do it and it's not hard. You're saying that it doesn't take athletic skill when we all know it does. That it doesn't take toughness when in reality it does. The pain that they feel isn't real. We know it is. Now, they might over-exaggerate it with their selling, but everybody knows if you're taking a bump inside a wrestling ring, you know that shit hurts. You know this is painful. You have to be a finely tuned athletic machine to even step foot inside that ring. And when you say it's fake, you disrespect those people who have been injured in that ring, whose careers have ended in that ring, and who unfortunately have died in that ring. When you say the words, wrestling is fake, you shit on all of those people. You spit in every single one of their faces. And that is why people like me and Gator and a lot of other people in the business, when we hear you say the word fake, our first instinct is to beat the fucking shit out of you. Now, in some cases, we're able to restrain ourselves. In other cases, we're not, as Gator has been in many fights over that. I have flown off the deep end with people over that. I had one instance where I had to escort somebody away from an indie show because a bunch of wrestlers were going to tear that motherfucker apart. But even though he said the word fake, he didn't say it in a negative way. I understood the context in which he was saying it, and I know he didn't mean it in a bad way, so I got him out of there so the other wrestlers wouldn't kill him because they didn't care about context. I do. But that's the thing. You treat this like a business. That's what wrestling is. The secret to professional wrestling, I'm going to talk more about this throughout the show, is you're supposed to make everything in the ring look believable. That's what I always preach whenever I watch wrestling. I need to believe in what I'm seeing, what I hear in promos. When someone's cutting a promo and saying they hate this other person and they're going to kick their ass, I need to feel that you really hate that person. I need to see the fire. I need to see the anger. I need to see the rage, the passion. I need to believe it even though I know in the back of my mind it's probably not true still you're supposed to make me believe I don't want to suspend my disbelief I want you to make me suspend my disbelief make me believe and if you can't make me believe then you suck that's why I say about the wrestling moves. That's why I don't like all the extra choreography or the super certain high spots. Because they require a fuck ton of cooperation. And if it's blatantly obvious to everybody in the building that you're clearly cooperating with the other person to do a spot, then we already know the match isn't real. The problem is, so many fans today are already in on it that they feel like, well, they know it's a work. We know it's a work. So we don't even have to try to make them believe. Let's just do the goofy shit. And people go 
go there to watch the stunts. You're basically going to a circus. You're basically watching Jackass on MTV. And I've always said, if you defend this by saying wrestling is fake and that's why it shouldn't matter, you're not a wrestling fan. Because no true wrestling fan and no true wrestler in the business would ever use the words it's fake to justify anything. You don't love the business if you say that. You cannot call yourself a wrestling fan and defend something stupid by saying it's okay because wrestling is fake. That is unacceptable. And if more wrestlers treated this like a business instead of like a playground, AEW would do so much better. So much better. So I liked that. I also love the fact that he said the thing about being one Bill Phil on the genuine article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. That was the perfect line because obviously it was a dig at the Young Bucks. But also the counterfeit thing makes sense because I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Young Bucks are the most unoriginal tag team in the history of professional wrestling. There is not a damn thing unique about the Young Bucks. They are a carbon copy of every other wrestler. They dress like the Rockers. They wrestle like the Hardys. They used to taunt like the Click. And the only reason they don't do it anymore is because they finally sent a cease and desist letter. And that's why they do things like, you know, hey, check out this t-shirt, cease and desist. Or when they say they're disgracing the business, and they just go, hey, we got a shirt killing the business. Yeah, we're killing the business and we don't care because we want attention. This is why nobody respects these motherfuckers. Anyone who says they do is either a fucking retard or they're trying to get a job in AEW. Those are the only two types of people that acknowledge the Young Bucks as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. When in reality, if you are a true wrestling fan, you know they're not even in the conversation. In fact, they are so far out of the conversation that if someone was to bring them into the conversation, you would be asked politely yet firmly to leave the conversation. So I loved that line. I also love when he said, you know, I'm sorry the only people softer than you are the wrestlers you like. That is the truth. I love that. Punk clapping back at all the haters that suddenly decided to shit on him when he went off on the Bucks and, every, and the Elite and everybody else. Because here's the thing. The only reason that these fans shit on CM Punk for this is because it's an AEW. And they're the type of fans who believe that AEW can do no wrong. That AEW is perfect in every way. That AEW is truly the best place to work. When in reality, it's not. AEW is not perfect. And you know for a fact if CM Punk was in WWE saying this shit to Vince McMahon, you would gobble it up. Because here's the reality. The only reason people give AEW a free pass on all the stupid shit they do is because they hate Vince McMahon. And you want AEW to succeed because you're tired of Vince McMahon having a monopoly in professional wrestling. And you're desperate for more competition. You're desperate for more promotions to rise up. And you want to see more places for wrestlers to get work and wrestlers to be successful outside of WWE. And you feel like the only way to do that is to just take whatever problems AEW has and do what most corporations do, which is take a problem and sweep it under the carpet or keep it behind closed doors so we can control the narrative and we can create the illusion that everything is okay when in reality nothing is fucking okay. But here's the harsh reality. The only way corporations change shit around is when shit gets exposed to the public. You ever
ever notice that? You ever notice that pr promotions or corporations change their ways when shit is made public and they have to do damage control? If you keep everything behind closed doors, it's business as usual. People have to get exposed a lot of the time in order to change their ways, in order for shit to get done. Especially when the whole reason Punk's going public with his shit was because these fucking counterfeit bucks were the ones that decided to go public through Meltzer and say that he got Colt Cabana fired when we all know that wasn't the case. Because Tony eventually finally came out and said Punk had nothing to do with it. So is Tony lying about that? Because y'all seem to believe everything else that comes out of Tony Khan's mouth. So there you go. And just to be clear, so there's no misunderstandings here, I don't want AEW to fail. Let me say that again. I do not want AEW to fail. I don't want AEW to go out of business. Do I think they're on the right track to go out of business? Yes, I do. I think they're on the verge of that happening, but I don't want it to happen. I want AEW to thrive. I want more wrestlers to have a place to work. I want WWE to have competition because not only will AEW providing competition do well for the wrestling fans, it will force WWE to step their game up because they had to step their game up when WCW almost put them out of business. So I want AEW to succeed, but just because I want AEW to succeed doesn't mean that I'm going to blindly follow or blindly endorse or support every single thing they do. I am not going to hide behind a lie just so a company can look good. I have said this before and I will say it again, ladies and gentlemen. When I see bullshit, I call it out. When I see something in wrestling that is good, I acknowledge that it's good. When it's bad, I acknowledge that it's bad. And I am never, ever, under any circumstances, going to change or compromise that. That's never going to happen. You will never see me kiss up to a wrestling company. And one thing you can always say about me, whether you agree with what I have to say or not, is I am consistent. Whether it's AEW, whether it's NXT, whether it's WWE, whether it's Ring of Honor, whether it's Impact Wrestling or New Japan or whatever it is I'm watching. When I see something good, I acknowledge it. When I see bullshit, I call bullshit. Hell, to this day, Gator's still mad at me for ripping apart Starcade 1985. Yeah, I watched old school Southern wrestling and I trashed it back to the Stone Age. Why? Because it was goddamn ridiculous. I stand by that. So don't think that I'm playing favorites here. Never have, never will. Hell, I've openly admitted I love NXT. It's my favorite wrestling show to watch. But I've seen stupid shit on NXT and I've called it out. I've seen a lot of good shit in NXT and I've called it out. I've seen great things happen in AEW and I've acknowledged them. So just like Punk said, I will always speak truth to power. And I love the fact that he won't change and he won't compromise. I also love the shot that he took regarding the dog collar match. He's like, I didn't do that because I had the best dog collar match. It's because I won the dog collar match. Perfect line. Takes a little shot at MJF. Opens the door for potentially MJF to wrestle him down the road in the near future. And I love the fact that he's still holding the AEW title even though he didn't show it in the bag and said, this is mine until someone can beat me. I love that line. I also love that he has his boots and said, until someone can fill these boots, they're going to be on my feet. That's another great thing. He's basically letting the haters know, I'm not leaving. I have unfinished business. I have a lot of things to get off my chest. I am the best in the world. And I'm going to prove that by staying on this Saturday show and drawing money because I'm that damn good. And now I've realized I've taken up a good chunk of this show talking about CM Punk, but I'm sorry. I genuinely loved this fucking promo. And uh, so we're going to finally jump into Dynamite here. <laughs> And uh, this probably won't take long anyway, but we're going to kick things off with our first official match of the evening. We got ourselves a tag team match. We have the Hardy Boys versus the Ass Boys. <laughs> 
It's the Hardys versus the Guns. And I will say, this was a pretty good tag team match. I liked it. Um, it's my first time seeing Jeff actually wrestle in a long time because I don't watch Rampage. Uh, so it was good to see uh, the Hardys in the ring again. And obviously, everybody already knows how I feel about Jeff Hardy. So I'm not going to go into that. But what I am going to say is I like Jeff and Matt when they're a tag team. So I do like Jeff in the tag team setting. I just don't like Jeff as a singles competitor. That's what I don't like. And I'm hoping Jeff can stay out of trouble and not do anything stupid so the Hardys can eventually become AEW World Tag Team Champions. I want to see them win the tag titles at least once in AEW. The Hardys need one run so they can prove they are the greatest tag team in all of space and time. Uh, the Guns worked very well together in this match. Uh, I would say my only complaint with the match was at one point the Guns did a tag and the referee had his back turned. And this goes into something that I have, a, I have an issue with in general. And I'm hoping someday Gator can explain this to me. I've always thought it was weird that whenever a babyface team makes a tag, when the ref's back is turned, the ref always comes out and says, he didn't see the tag, so he has to go back and they got to reset. But whenever the heel's tagging it out and the ref's back is turned, the ref always allows it. And I don't understand why. I've, I, I, so I'm not going to put this on Rick Knox. I'm not going to blame him. But I just want to bring this up. This is an asinine thing that I've seen in wrestling for decades, and it needs to fucking stop because it makes it look like the referees are being biased even though they're not trying to be i don't know where this method came from i don't know who the fuck taught referees to do this but it's stupid and it needs to be untrained and untaught if you don't see a tag i don't care who the team is you should not acknowledge the tag now, if the heels want to do dastardly shit while the rest back is turned, I'm all for that. That's what heels do. But they should not be allowed to tag in and out while the rest back is turned. Or you got to let the baby faces do it. That's the only way to be equal. Either make the ref see everything or allow the baby faces to tag out without a referee having to see it because it's not helpful. But outside of that, solid match. In the end, the guns end up winning with help from Juice Robinson and Jay White. So the guns get the victory. Then they attack the Hardys after the bell. Ricky Starks and FTR come out to make the save but they're outnumbered until CM Punk gets involved Punk clears the ring and says he's a collision guy he's not supposed to be here but he challenges White and the guns to a match on collision basically a eight man tag match basically the you know White Robinson and the guns versus FTR CM Punk and Ricky Starks which I think is a hell of a four man team if I do say so myself and I do that being said here are my two issues with this I'm noticing this is a habit lately and I'm not a fan of it. I don't like when baby faces come out to make the save and the heels cut them off too early. I don't like that. At least let the heels get, get a couple shots in, come in like a house of fire, and then attack them from behind and then do the beatdown. You gotta let the baby faces get a little bit of a shine when they come in. And I notice they don't do that a lot. They cut the baby faces off way too early to the point where it kills everything. Now, Punk was able to come in like a house of fire, so that kind of saved it. But still, that's an issue that I have. Another issue I have is if someone has a microphone in their hand and they're cutting a promo, everybody else needs to shut the fuck up. At one point, Punk is cutting his promo, saying he wants to fight these guys and everything. He goes, I'm a collision guy. I'm not supposed to be here. And I can hear Juice Robinson running his fucking dick liquor the entire fucking time. I could barely hear Punk because Juice Robinson is so close to the camera, he won't shut the fuck up. 
and I hate Juice Robinson. I'll say it right now. I can't stand this motherfucker. Now, I've never met him in person. So this is not a personal hate. This is a wrestling hate. So I might meet him in person one day and he might be a cool dude. But as far as wrestling goes, he annoys the fucking shit out of me. Jay White, I like. He can at least work somewhat. Juice Robinson, I have never been a fan of this guy in the ring. I don't know why the fuck he's hired. I don't know why the fuck he's here. I don't know why anybody sees value in Juice Robinson. He is literally a waste of fucking space. And he does not belong in the wrestling business. But again, if you want to talk, wait till there's a pause. But when the person with the mic is talking, everybody else needs to be quiet. Because the whole purpose of the promo is for the fans to hear the promo. They're not interested in your rebuttal off camera. They're interested in hearing the person with the mic talk. Especially since it's Chicago and it's CM Punk. More people would rather hear Punk speak than Juice Robinson. Especially in Chicago. And it's true. Punk's not supposed to be on Dynamite. But it's in Chicago. So rest assured, Punk is going to be there. And I'm pretty sure since Dynamite's in Chicago, that must mean Rampage is going to be in Chicago. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't mind having Punk make an appearance on Rampage. Even if he just cuts another promo. That would be great. Because keep in mind, it's Chicago. Chicago loves Punk. So you can use Punk for an episode of Rampage. Then, after that, you have him back to doing just collision and pay-per-views until the next time you're in Chicago. But if you got Chicago, use the Chicago hometown hero because people will pay money in Chicago to see CM Punk. They will. Absolutely. So that makes sense. And on that note, we cut to the next match of the evening, a concession stand brawl. We got Mark Briscoe one-on-one against Jeff Jarrett. Okay, this match had all the potential to be great. And in the beginning, it kind of was. Although it did irritate me a little bit that Jeff Jarrett's throwing popcorn and food at Mark Briscoe before the referee officially starts the match. And that's always something I found annoying. Look, I understand there's animosity. I understand wrestlers want to fight each other. I understand they want to get it on. But just let the referee ring the bell before you do anything. Come on. There's still rules that the wrestlers have to follow regardless of how much they hate each other. Let the referee have the authority. It's that fucking simple. Stop burying the referees. This is an ongoing problem in AEW. Treat the referees with respect. Now, I understand in some cases, the heel might attack the referee to get some heat a little later in the match. But in the beginning, you should, as a heel, still respect the referee because you want to win the match. Because winning the match means more money in your pocket as a heel and also gives you bragging rights. So the referee should still have power over the heel as an authority figure. Now, in the beginning, I enjoyed it. You know, they're they're using the food and the, and the hot dogs and everything. They're having fun at the concession stand. What bothered me most about this match is that it didn't last very long at the concession stand. Eventually, after Karen Jarrett blinds Mark with some sauce, Mark eventually gets past that and he goes to dive off a table, but Sanjay Dutt pushes him off the ladder and sends him through the table and Jeff's able to move out of the way or whatever. There's a lot of weird shit happening in this match. But what really bothered me was that the match spilled around the arena. And they eventually end up in the fucking ring. And then eventually, Mark Briscoe gets the victory after some interference from Papa Briscoe comes out to slam Lethal. And then uh, Satnam Singh comes out and slams Mark Briscoe. Christopher Daniels and the Best Friends come out to take out the fight to Singh. The Lucha Brothers take him out as well. Penta kicks Jarrett. Briscoe pins him one, two, three. And everybody's, um celebrating in the fucking ring afterwards, but it's a concession stand brawl. Therefore, the match should take place by the concession stand. 
Why call a match a concession stand brawl if you're going to go all the way out to the ring and spend little to no time at the concession stand itself? That's what I think a concession stand brawl should be. It should be just the concession stand and have everybody watching the Titan Shrine. I would rather do that. You don't need to bring them out to the ring. I can understand if it was false count anywhere or anarchy in the arena. That's the type of match where you want to go, okay, eventually bring it back to the ring. But in this case, it's a concession stand brawl. Have them just fight at the concession stand. Use the food as weapons. Use things in the concession stand as a weapon. Pick up a microwave, hit somebody in the head, grab an Instapot that cooks things and just maybe dump some like, you know, boil water on somebody. You, or you think it's boiled water, but you sell like it is. You know, you do that. Those things would have been a lot more fun. Just keep it in that one area. We don't need to go near the merch stand. We don't need to go out to the ring. You don't need to fight on the stairway. Just stay at the concession stand. Don't call the match a concession stand brawl if you're not going to stand at the concession stand. Just make it falls count anywhere. That way, the match at least looks fucking different. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where we see Take a Shitta and Don Cows of the Blackpool Combat Club. John Mox says they have assembled an excellent team for Forbidden Door and they challenge the elite to a match at Forbidden Door. Danielson says he's going to prove that Okada is an amateur. If he doesn't show up tonight, he'll show that he's an amateur and a coward. And of course, the match they're referring to is, obviously in the Blackpool Combat Club, it's going to be John Moxley, Wheeler Useless, and Claudio Castanoli teaming up with Takeshita and somebody named uh, Shata Umnio. That's apparently who they're selecting for their team because obviously Brian Danielson will not be part of this match because he's going to be facing Okada at Forbidden Door. And of course, when they talk about the Elite, they're referring to Hangman Adam Page and the Young Bucks because obviously Kenny's going to be defending the IWGP United States Championship against Will Ospreay. So they have to then pick two people. And because we don't talk about the Elite, I'll just say the guy that ends up showing up to help out is Eddie Kingston. And Eddie Kingston basically says, he doesn't like the elite but as much as he does not like or respect the elite he hates Claudio Castanoli with an undeniable passion so because of that he'll join with them and then he's going to pick somebody else to be their fifth guy because even though he doesn't like the fifth guy he's thinking about he trusts them more than he trusts the elite but he will reveal who that fifth person is a little later on in the show and on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We got a six-man tag match, the Les Suzuki Gods, which consists of Chris Jericho, Manuro Suzuki, and Sammy Guevara against AR Fox, Action Andretti, and Darius Martin. This match was it was there this match was not all that interesting um i will say i did enjoy ar fox in this match i thought um he worked very well didn't do too many uh insane spots he, he still did that one thing where he springboards off the room does like a, a cannonball moonsault thing where he takes out the guys behind him it's uh it's a spot that i really don't care for but it doesn't it's not enough to make me hate ar fox because ar fox in general is a great worker he just has the occasional high spot that he does because he knows that the neck beards out there will gobble this shit up. Uh, Action Andretti ain't seen him in forever. Didn't do anything special for me. Uh, I did notice one thing in the match <laughs> where, and it's a pet peeve that a lot of people have is um, Chris Jericho has a tendency to scoot into place for spots. Um, if you can't bump into the place you need to be and or need to scoot into place for the next spot, you obviously know is next. You suck. This is another example of guys being so comfortable with the 
fact that the fans know it's a work, that they do things that look like shit. See, what people need to understand is this. If you're going to do a high spot, you're supposed to bump in the middle of the ring. If you bump in the middle of the ring, you are always in the right spot, okay? If someone takes a bump in a match and you are not in the right spot for the whatever stupid move you were planning, either A, don't do the spot, or B, call something on the fly to regroup. Pick a different spot. That's one of the advantages of calling it in the ring is being able to go, okay, we had a spot here. He didn't land properly. Do something like bounce off the ropes and hit a leg drop. Do something and then and then while the person's unconscious, have them drag you to the place they need you to be and then do the move. But incapacitate the opponent so Jericho doesn't have to be like, oh, let me scooch over. Let me slide my butt over. And you know the camera's going to catch it because apparently whoever's shooting AEW doesn't normally shoot wrestling and doesn't know there's certain things. You shouldn't fucking capture. But that's a stupid thing to do. And Jericho has been guilty of this a lot. Again, this goes back to what I said before about not treating the business like a joke and making things look believable. Why would you scoot closer to an area for a person to do a move onto you if you're trying to beat them? You don't help somebody kick your ass. That's like if somebody, if you're in a fist fight with somebody and they pick up a weapon and accidentally drop it, are you going to pick up that weapon, hand it to the person and go, okay, swing the bat? No. You're either going to kick that bat away so they can't use it or you're going to find a way to pick up that bat so you can hit the motherfucker with it because if you're in a fight with somebody your goal is to win the fight you're trying to knock that motherfucker out before he knocks you out again respect the business don't do stupid shit. Make the fans believe. Then, of course, Jericho takes Andretti down with a code breaker. Then he traps Martin in the Lion Tamer and makes him tap out. Jericho and his team win. Rene Paquette gets in the ring and asks Jericho about his confrontation with Sting last week. Jericho says it was a monumental moment, but he wasn't excited as he knows who Sting is. He says Sting is selfish as he just shows up wherever the highest bidder is. Jericho calls Sting a whore. He challenges Sting and Darby Allen to find a partner for a trios match at Forbidden Door. Sting and Allen come out. Sting tells Jericho he looks forward to having some time with him in the ring as they accept the challenge. Allen says Jericho has made a lot of enemies and they have their guy. Jericho asks who it is and Allen says he'll find out on Collision. So it's safe to say Sting and Darby Allen will be appearing on AEW Collision this Saturday. Hopefully Jericho will be there as well, but I'm not sure if he's going to because Jericho's on that list of people that can't handle being around CM Punk because he's a cancer too. The locker room. So there's no telling whether or not Jericho will have the balls to show up. If he does, great. If not, then obviously he's still a fucking baby. But either way, this is another match that's been added to Forbidden Door that I'm going to be honest, I don't really care about. You know, I I'm intrigued to see who the third person is, but I'm willing to bet it's a guy from New Japan. Let's just be honest here. They're picking a third guy from New Japan because, again, this is Forbidden Door. So you already got two AEW guys and a New Japan guy with Jericho, Sammy, and Suzuki. You got Sting and Darby Allen, two AEW guys. They need a guy from New Japan to fill the void. I don't know who it is, but we'll all find out Saturday as we now have another random match added to Forbidden Door when we already didn't need this many matches on the card. There's already 10 if you count the dark match, which I don't, so we're not even going to talk about that on this show. But still, this is way too many matches, and you know these matches are going to go on for fucking ever. So the more matches I see added to this card, the less likely it is that Elvis will be joining me for the Forbidden Door recap, because chances are he's going to want to go to bed to get up early for work. Next, we cut to Tony Schiavone and RJ City, who start picking names for the Blind Eliminator Tournament 
tournament, but they don't reveal who they are. But he said the names will be revealed next week, which is interesting because this blind eliminator tournament is basically they're picking random people to be tag team partners. And I think the winning team is supposed to get shot at the tag team titles. This is kind of similar, which is kind of funny to me, to Battle Bowl, which is going to be one of the pay-per-view reviews that we're doing. I actually just finished watching Battle Bowl recently, so eventually at some point we're going to do the recap of it. Now, the review of Battle Bowl from 1993, that's not going to come out until like the first week of November, but that's kind of what Battle Bowl was. They drew random names, and they put random teams together, and basically you had to win the tag match, and if you won the tag match, you got added to the 16-man Battle Royal to win the Battle Bowl ring, which is kind of like the Dynamite Diamond ring that we see today. But the only difference is nobody, the winning teams get a shot at the tag team titles. And then, of course, there's that elite moment that I talked about before. I'm skipping that because no one cares. So we're going to cut to Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole discusses his match with MJF and gives the devil his due. As he calls it one of the toughest matches of his career, he knows that he did everything he could, but he didn't win. However, MJF didn't win either. Cole says that to be the greatest AEW world champion, MJF has to take on all comers. He he says MJF has never beaten him. Cole calls out MJF and he answers. MJF insults the crowd. MJF says the guy he used to study, the Panama City Playboy, came out to play for their match. He says he's worried about Cole as he has suffered a lot of blows to the head. MJF said he had Cole beat last week. As for the rematch, MJF says that because he cares about Cole's health, he has to say no. Cole challenges MJF to fight him right then and there. Tony Schiavone interrupts with an announcement as he reveals that Cole and MJF were paired up in the Blind Eliminator Tournament. Hiroshi Tanahashi appears on the video screen and challenges MJF to show up for their match at Forbidden Door. MJF starts to turn the challenge down again and Cole implies that he's a coward. Cole says that MJF must think Tanahashi is better than him. MJF says no one is better than him. Cole gets a coward chant going and MJF finally accepts Tanahashi's challenge for Forbidden Door. And Adam Cole says good luck partner and leaves the ring. So now it's official for the AEW World Championship. MJF will defend the title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's going to happen, which I had a feeling it would, especially since they announced earlier that CM Punk is going to challenge Satoshi Kojima in the opening match of the men's Owen Hart Cup tournament. This is one of the first round matches. So since Punk won't face Tanahashi like he was going to before he got injured last year, instead he will face MJF and the world title will be on the line. I also got to say, I kind of like the fact that Adam Cole and MJF got paired up for this tournament because MJF is pissed off because now he's pretty much going to have to wrestle every week. It looks like it, which MJF takes great pride in the fact that he doesn't like to wrestle every week because he's not a fucking mark. So the fact that they're getting ways for MJF to appear on TV is genius. And it's a tag team match, so that means MJF can do things like tag out, not get in the ring unless he absolutely has to. But here's the big question. Is MJF going to turn on Adam Cole in this tag match, or are they going to be able to work together? I would like to see something where they're forced to work together. Like if either one of them tries to back out, like, you know, like let's say Adam Cole turns on MJF. Well, then he gets suspended for X amount of time. Or if MJF turns on Adam Cole, Cole, he gets stripped of the world title. Like, something has to happen to force these guys to coexist as a team. Because I wouldn't mind seeing a Adam Cole and MJF tag team title odd couple. Because, let's be honest, in the history of wrestling, there have been a lot of odd couple tag team champions over the years. We've seen some, uh, as they say in wrestling, strange bedfellows become tag team champions before. Hell, every tag title reign John Cena has had, it's been with somebody he was in a rivalry with. 
So I think it'd be cool to see like Adam Cole and MJF become tag team champions. I think would be intriguing because I don't see Adam Cole winning the tag belts with Roderick Strong anytime soon. And MJF doesn't really have anybody to team up with since him and Sammy Guevara are no longer a team. So I think if you want to give MJF a tag team title run, I think him and Adam Cole would be great. I would love to see this odd couple tag team and see how they pull this off. I think it would make very good, entertaining, compelling TV. It really would. And then on that note, we get to see the men's and women's brackets for the Owen Hart Cup Foundation Tournament. Now, as we mentioned before, at Forbidden Door, it's going to be CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima. And then on the June 29th episode of Collision, which I'm pretty sure is a typo because June 29th is a Thursday. That's actually next Thursday. I think they meant to say July 29th because July 29th is a Saturday. That's definitely a Saturday. So I'm, I don't know if that's supposed to be July or not. But either way, basically, after CM Punk takes on Satoshi Kojima, the one after that is Roderick Strong versus Samoa Joe. And then the winner of those matches will face each other in the second round. So it, it could be the winner of CM Punk and Kojima will face the winner of Roderick Strong and Samoa Joe. Then on another ep- side of the bracket, we have Dustin Rhodes versus Powerhouse Hobbs. And then we have Juice Robinson versus Ricky Starks. So with the exception of Punk and Kojima, the other three matches are going to take place on that one episode of Collision. So we'll see what happens there. So there's a good chance it could be Punk versus Joe. I think I'd like to see Dustin versus Ricky Starks. And then maybe in the finals, we see maybe Punk versus Starks. But I got a strong feeling CM Punk's going to win the entire thing. And then over on the women's side, we have um, a match this Friday on Rampage. Uh, that's going to be Anna JAS versus Sky Blue. And then, the, and then next Wednesday on Dynamite will be Dr. Britt Baker versus Ruby Soho. And the winners of those two matches will face each other in the second round. And then this Saturday on Collision, Nyla Rose will face... Willow Nightingale and then the winner of that match will face the winner of the match taking place during the pre-show of Forbidden Door which is Athena versus Billy Starks Stars. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's S-T-A-R-K-Z. So that's the brackets. That's what's taking place. And obviously, I'm not going to see... I'll see the Britt Baker-Ruby Soho match, obviously. But the other three, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to see. Because I don't watch Rampage. I don't know if I'm going to be able to check Collision. If I can, I'll see it. And then obviously, the Zero Hour thing. I'm not going to watch the pre-show unless Elvis really wants us to watch the pre-show. In which case, I'll check that out. But otherwise, I have no intention of doing that. But right now, those are the brackets for the Owen Hart Cup Tournament. Obviously, any match that take place on Dynamite, I'll talk about those. And obviously, as this progresses, we'll give updates and see where everything is at. And then we move on to the next match of the evening. We've got some tag team action. We have Orange Cassidy and Kasuri Shibata versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Garcia. I'm going to be brutally honest right now. I actually like this match. I enjoyed it. This was a very well-done match. Zack Sabre Jr. is incredible in the ring. Shibata, I actually like him. Like, these two, Shibata and Zack, were mat wrestling. They were actually wrestling. They were working. They were battling for position. It looked believable in that ring. Those two are incredible. I know it's a miracle, because normally 
normally I don't praise Japanese wrestlers often, but Shibata, I liked him. Why? Because I believed in everything that he did. Daniel Garcia have always been the world brand. Basically, the only thing I didn't like was Orange Cassidy. And for most of the match, Orange Cassidy was on the ring apron, which is why this match was great. Basically, once Orange Cassidy got tagged in, that's when the shit would hit the fan. Because I mentioned before, not a fan of Cassidy. And of course, at one point, Cassidy and Shibata did those stupid shin kicks. So there's one thing Shibata did that pissed me off. But I think the only reason he did it was because Orange Cassidy was in the ring. So you take Orange Cassidy out of the equation, and I enjoy this match. Because the other three guys at least know how to wrestle, they know how to work, and they're talented. And in the end, Cassidy accidentally hits Shibata with the orange punch, and Garcia gets the win. And then a video package comes on to highlight the feud between Tony Storm and Willow Nightingale, and they announce that Tony Storm will defend the women's title against Willow Nightingale at Forbidden Door, which, I gotta be honest, why is this match here? I mean, last I checked, Willow Nightingale is an AEW wrestler signed to All Elite Wrestling. Now, I know she also performs for New Japan, but I think the fact that she's the current strong women's champion, that the fact that she also works there, is probably why they count this as an AEW versus New Japan situation, but technically they're both AW wrestlers, so it's kind of weird to see them both fighting each other at Forbidden Door, but I guess they want to use the fact that she works at New Japan as a loophole, but of course they also mentioned that Orange Cassidy will defend the International Championship in a fatal four-way match, featuring all three people that were already in this match, so basically, he once again has to wrestle Zack Sabre Jr. and Daniel Garcia, but Shibata, who's his tag team partner, is now going to be his opponent in this fatal four-way, and I'm going to say the same thing that I always say, please God let Orange Cassidy finally lose this fucking belt, I'm getting sick of him. I can't fucking take it anymore. It almost makes me not want to fucking watch because I'm actually convinced that Orange Cassidy is going to walk out with this title again. But I'll be honest. I wouldn't mind seeing Daniel Garcia with it and I wouldn't mind seeing Zack Sabre Jr. with it. And if Shibata wants to work more AEW dates, I wouldn't mind seeing him with it either because I, I say I'm starting to like Shibata. But for the love of God, get this belt off of Orange Cassidy. If Orange Cassidy wins, you can expect another angry rant from me during the Forbidden Door recap. And on that note, we move on to the next match that evening for the TBS championship Chris Statlander defends the title against Taya Valkyrie this ladies and gentlemen is a fucking travesty it is I will say the match itself was pretty good the women knew how to work there weren't a lot of stupid shit happening although Chris Statlander did do a fair share of stupid unnecessary high spots but the fact that Taya Valkyrie did not win the TBS championship is a fucking travesty and the reason it makes me so goddamn angry is because shit like this is why people say that Tony Khan is not running a wrestling business and that this is a wrestling hobby and that he's not taking this seriously and he's making it hard for real wrestling fans to take this shit seriously why is it that you bring in people who are stars who draw money who take the business seriously and you constantly feed them to people who don't take this seriously who don't draw money and who no one takes seriously as fucking champions your TBS champion and your international champion are two fucking guys that only that only are over with your core target audience only the people who live in this AEW bubble and believe that AEW is the symbol of perfection in wrestling take these two seriously outside of that bubble nobody takes them seriously nobody knows who they are and no one gives a shit who they are when is AEW gonna start putting their belts on actual talent talent that is recognizable talent that draws money talent that will get you fans outside of this fucking bubble that you're living in 
so you can expand and grow your company so people can stop looking at you like you're a fucking carnival show. This is the shit that makes me and a lot of diehard fans angry with AEW. You want to know why people don't take this company seriously? Shit like this. The fact that Taya Valkyrie doesn't have that belt around her waist, but fucking Chris Statlander does. The fact that you have Jeff Jarrett, who from a corporate standpoint is in charge of international relations for AEW, but yet you don't want to make him the international champion. Instead, you keep it on your little dog pockets, who doesn't draw money, doesn't move the needle, and is no longer interesting because you've seen one Orange Cassidy match, you've seen them all. He doesn't do anything special. It's the same song and dance with this motherfucker. You cannot acknowledge these two as dominant champions and expect people to take your company seriously. This is why the ratings aren't doing well. They're in the same fluctuating spot they've always been in. And this is why AEW will never be taken seriously as competition to WWE. They are still the superior product. I want AEW to be real competition for WWE. The problem is, I don't think they want to be real competition to WWE. Because if they really did, they wouldn't do stupid shit like this. And then we close out the show with Eddie Kingston making his way to the ring. He comes out and addresses aligning with the elite, basically letting the audience know, I do not like them. I do not respect them. But the reason I'm joining forces with them is because I hate Claudio Castanoli more than I hate the elite. And then John Moxley comes out and says that Kingston drew a line in the sand by fighting alongside them. Kingston says Moxley drew the line by joining up with Castanoli. And he looked John Moxley in the eye and said, you're my brother and I love you, but you chose to align with that scumbag and I don't like him. And then of course the tensions rise between them and then Kingston finally announces that Tomohiro Ishii is going to be their final partner for Forbidden Door. Then Ishii comes out, the Blackpool Combat Club attack Kingston. Meanwhile, John Moxley gets out of the ring and goes to fight Ishii. Then after the beatdown, Danielson gets on the mic and says Okada won't show up. And if he doesn't show up, I'm going to stomp Ishii's head in. But before he can do it, the music hits and out comes Okada. He stands face-to-face with Brian Danielson. The crowd's going crazy. They're having the face-off. And then all of a sudden, Wheeler Useless attacks him from behind. Okada fights back, takes Yuta out. Okada takes the fight to Danielson, but he escapes. And then he drops Yuta with the Rainmaker. And that ends the show. And all I got to say is, I love this. What I found the most hilarious is the fact that the elite, to my knowledge, never came out. And that's what I found the most hilarious. I'm convinced that the elite segment was pre-taped in advance because I actually heard a rumor the elite wasn't even going to show up for this show because they knew Chicago was going to boo them out of the building and they don't have the balls to look Chicago in the eye. And that's going to be the difference between Punk and the elite because Punk knows there's going to be certain towns they go to where he's going to get booed because they're all brainwashed by the EVPs. But Punk don't give a fuck. Punk is able to look fans in the eye that don't like him. And he will say the shit he's got to say. But the elite, they're cowards. They knew they would get booed out of that building if they walked in there. Especially since on Collision, those same fans were chanting, fuck the elite. Now, Punk knows if he goes to California or Canada or certain places that are elite friendly, the the crowd's going to go off on him. But Punk ain't scared. And also because Punk and the Elite don't want to be in the same room with each other. So that's probably why they did a backstage pre-tape and then got the fuck up out of there. They didn't even have the balls to show up for this segment. 
Tells you all you need to know about those fucking losers. And then, of course, I, I, what I found interesting about this segment was when I saw um, Statlander and Taya come out for their match, it was almost like 9.50 p.m. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. Eddie Kingston has to reveal the fifth person and Danielson still has to call out Okada. How are they going to cram all this in? So you can tell the mat. That's why the that's why the last match didn't go very long because they had to get this segment in. So it's kind of like they're cramming everything together. And moments like that are exactly why you need to time your matches. Have everybody stick to a schedule. Stop making matches go on for a long, long fucking time. Not every match has to be 15, 20-minute barn burners. Especially matches that don't really go anywhere or fucking mean anything. If you got a main event title match, most of your time should be devoted to that. That's why a standard opening match should never go longer than 10 minutes. You have your main event match go for a long time or your final segment go for a long time because that's supposed to be your moneymaker. Your opening match should be Here's a couple guys, bam, 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 two-minute entrances, eight-minute match. Do your thing, get the fuck out. We have other shit going on that's more important. But, of course, AEW can't do that. They got to let everybody get their shit in and then try to cram stuff in because they keep forgetting this isn't pay-per-view on TV. You have a fucking time limit. So now you got to rush shit at the end because you took too long with the beginning and the middle. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of AEW Dynamite. This is, of course, the go-home before Forbidden Door. We'll run down the list again. We have Kenny Omega defending the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship against Will Ospreay. We have Brian Danielson going one-on-one against Okada, which is apparently the main event, which is a slap in the face to both the AEW world title and the IWGP world title, by the way. Speaking of which, we have Sonata defending the IWGP world heavyweight title against Jungle Boy. Didn't hear a lot of that being mentioned today. Maybe they'll save that for collision. MJF will defend the AEW world heavyweight title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. We have La Suzuki Gods going up against Sting, Darby Allin, and whoever the third guy is, we'll find out a collision. We have John Moxley, Wheeler Useless, and Claudio Castanoli of the Blackpool Combat Club teaming up with Take a Shitta and Shota Umino to take on Hangman Adam Page and the Young Bucks of the Elite, Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii. CM Punk goes one-on-one against Satoshi Kojima in the first round match of the Men's Owen Hart Cup. We have Orange Cassidy defending the International Championship against Zack Sabre Jr., Kasuyuri Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. And then we'll have Tony Storm defending the AEW Women's Championship against Willow Nightingale. So that's all at Forbidden Door this Sunday. And of course, we will have a recap of Forbidden Door for you guys dropping on Monday. And of course, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content, and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified with future content. Content will be posted. I am excited to announce that I finally got the tech issues fixed. And tomorrow at 2 p.m., we will be dropping a new episode of Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s. And, of course, that episode will be The Rise of Rush Limbaugh. That's right. Check out The Rise of Rush Limbaugh dropping at 2 p.m. And I will also be in the process of editing the last two episodes of Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s. So I'll be sure to drop those very soon. I also got 
a couple of complaint times I'm going to drop, and I'm also in the process of trying to get ready to record uh, Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of Football and Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of Comedy. I just got to get Lance Goodman for the football, get the comics together for the comedy, and of course, with the new episodes of Dark Side of the Ring dropping, we will be doing Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the Ring as well, coming soon to the YouTube channel. So subscribe now, check out the content that's already there in preparation for the new content that is dropping. And of course, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash theboochcast slash support. Become support of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. 10 dollars per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WB Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. Today, $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with your credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes it to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till.